This week in the parish of bourses and market structure, T plus one equals two years, says DTCC, while a Fed tech outage shows the legacy problems in upgrading the US clearing and settlement architecture. Profits soar from Hong Kong to Istanbul, while DB1 could get swept into the Cumex dragnet. And meanwhile, the European Union threatens banks for seeking to keep their clients' euros safely cleared. Is the euro war coming? My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, Episode 83. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of highlights amongst the key headlines from the week in market structure. All the analysis of the week's many events and happenings can be found in Exchange Invest's daily newsletter, the unique guide to the bourse business sent daily to your inbox. More details at exchangeinvest.com. In settlement land, the DTCC, America's equity settlement monopoly, has proposed an approach to shortening the US settlement cycle to T plus one within two years. That, of course, follows the GameStop Farago, which nearly brought the whole of the US equity clearing system crashing down, thanks to a multiplicity of retail investors who clearly had rather a lot of institutional capital also involved. That storied and some may say antiquated clearinghouse and settlement depository that played a role in last month's Reddit-fueled market frenzy is proposing that settlement times for US stocks be cut in half. T plus one in T plus two years, masterminded by the DTCC. Well, I would love to see it, but somehow I have a bad feeling about the ability to execute given so many participants, and indeed the fact that, in sympathy, no sooner did the DCCC make their announcement than the Federal Reserve's own money-clearing technology system promptly fell over. Over in Hong Kong, the Hong Kong exchange's shares, they slumped, despite spectacular results, of which more in a moment, because the government has decided to raise the stamp duty on stock trading. It's a worrying trend towards stock trading taxes, which appears to be in an upswing the world over, as big government seeks to desperately balance the books post-COVID intervention. In the case of Hong Kong, this is looking like a first-in-a-generation rise from 0.1 to 0.13%. Markets understandably reacted badly. Meanwhile, in London at the Hong Kong Exchange's subsidiary there, the fight to save the London Metal Exchange ring has begun as traders warn on pricing. Looking to the Middle East via London and indeed the Intercontinental Exchange, ADNOC, the Abu Dhabi National Energy Consortium, they're preparing, along with ICE, through the venue of ICE Futures Abu Dhabi, that brand new exchange in the Abu Dhabi global market, to launch their new oil futures, Merban Crude, coming at the end of March with the first expiry dates being set this week for the crude futures that are soon to launch. That, of course, came on the back of some record volumes in various businesses, including JKM and other oil and gas contracts across the ice, and a spectacular number, an all-time record in open interest. Futures alone, 46.9 million contracts across the ice futures empire. Over in Brexit, Is it a phony war or are we on the cusp of all-out commercial conflict? The European Union stubbornly maintains its foolish and mutually assured destruction, suicidal grab against international law on the CCP business in London. 
Sooner or later, even the Biden administration will wake up to this attack on the global system, methinks, and certainly the UK government and related blobsters are looking vastly more coherent than they were in previous years. But then again, who knew the UK had a government with Mrs May and Downing Street, let alone anybody who wanted to try and actually make Brexit work? Now, of course, it's a completely different position under the Boris Johnson administration, who are getting Brexit done with alacrity. Only the European Union could threaten, of course, via a questionnaire. This circular was asking banks to justify their London clearing of euro positions. And, frankly, that whole financial questionnaire was as ominous as it was financially illiterate. At the same time, if the European Union is simply going to jump up and down while fist-waving, then at least that ought not to lead them into the descent of Chapter 7911 at best, or some other equivalent hell which is the future of many European banks and nation-states given the long-standing failure to cure the euro crisis. In their questionnaire to banks, the European Commission noted, and I quote, The current level of exposure in UK central counterparties raises a number of issues for the European Union that should be addressed by a reduction in the EU's exposure to UK CCPs. Banks would be richly advised to revert with the utterly true and sensible response. If we collateralise all our other positions without the backstop of our euro swaps, then it will be totally transparent we are bankrupt and the euro project will fail. Your call, EU. Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey has noted that if the European Union does not extend clearinghouse equivalent beyond June 2022, then about 25% of euro derivatives clearing to the EU could be forced to move. It's an interesting number, given that this must include a lot of one-sided euro counterparty transactions. And that frankly strikes me as a mess, as the non-EU participants may prove reluctant to be part of an anti-free market protectionist body like the European Union. That's not a swipe at Eurex or other exchanges within the bloc, but at the centralised Brussels entity itself. From what I've always garnered, the pure Eurozone to Eurozone swap transactions are barely in single figures in Euroswap terms. At the same time, it's a joy to have a Bank of England boss who is defending Britain, something the Europhile, indeed abject anti-Brexiteer, Mark Carney, singularly failed to do. This is an important stance not merely for the UK as a financial centre, but in the bigger picture, for the entire world currency-related financial order. In a further example, that the British government has a continued commitment to make Brexit Britain a resounding success, the former Conservative Party leader Ian Duncan Smith has been appointed to head a new body, which will advocate an approach for financial services regulation, as conceived by none other than Barnabas Reynolds, financial services practitioner at Shearman and Sterling, the US law firm based in London, and indeed. Barney Reynolds' excellent plan adopted by a senior Tory and sound Brexiteer in the shape of Ian Duncan Smith is excellent news altogether. If you haven't already and you want to understand the whole underpinning of the common sense approach to the future of Britain's financial centre and British financial regulation, then pop on over to my In Patrick's Opinion IPO video live stream with Barney Reynolds from just a week or so ago. You can find it at youtube.com, search for IPO-vid. It was a busy week for results in the parish. All the deals were in Exchange Invest Daily, the newsletter no person can afford to be without in capital markets and market structure. For the sake of this podcast, let's pick out an edited highlight. The Hong Kong Exchange, their third year in a row of record profits. Once again, a stunning year. Core business revenue up 24% compared with the previous year 
reflecting higher trading and clearing fees driven by record headline average daily trading volumes. Note amongst that Stock Connect, something which was written off at birth by many in the media, but we at Exchange Invest always knew would come true to be a huge profit centre. Revenue there was up 91% compared to the previous year. This is an incredible set of record results for the third consecutive year as the sun sets on the Charles Lee era as CEO. Likewise, we had a busy week for deals in the parish. They were all in Exchange Invest Daily, the newsletter no person can afford to be without in the capital markets and market structure. New markets this week, two interesting possibilities. The Ivory Coast is looking at launching agricultural commodities, an exchange for that in March of this year. Meanwhile, over in Michigan, they may be getting their own marijuana stock exchange. One piece of chilling Cumex news this week, amongst many. The Deutsche Börse is facing a possible Cumex investigation, according to Manager magazine, which actually has been remarkably accurate with its scoops relating to what's happening in Frankfurt for many years. It's a worrying development for DB1, now facing investigation for any role it may have played in the Cumex fiasco. Thus, the parish is becoming embroiled in the net of this utterly inexcusable case of legal opinion running riot with common sense. Then again, given the clear deficiency of the German government, amongst others, I am minded to wonder, would we see the same madness in a true common law jurisdiction? Product news this week, happy news from the Warsaw Stock Exchange. GPW has now listed a world record number of game developers. Amongst the most recent people to come online, the IPO of Huge Gaming, which is not, by the way, as far as I'm aware, in any way related to the former president of the United States of America, Donald Trump, despite sharing a catchphrase. Over at London Clearing House, they've extended the central clearing tenor for Sora derivatives out to 21 years. The post-LIBOR yield curve is alive. Platts, they've confirmed plans to add WTI Midland crude to their dated Brent benchmark. In technology this week, embarrassing moments for the Fed. Their system that allows banks to send money back and forth went down for several hours during the course of Wednesday afternoon on the 24th of February. That pivotal automated clearinghouse system, which connects depository and related institutions, sending electronic credit and debt transfers, just didn't happen, leaving the US money market in a degree of chaos. It was a bad day for the Fed. Elsewhere, another bad day in exchange land directly within the parish, the Indian National Stock Exchange was forced to halt trading due to a technical glitch, which instantaneously got the meme army of India out there to crack the world up with a few handy quips while stress was ongoing within NSE headquarters as they tried to resurrect the system. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com, with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up, or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome, wherever you find this podcast. Regulation this week, IOSCO see an urgent need for a globally consistent, comparable, and reliable sustainability disclosure standards set. They're announcing priorities and vision for a sustainability standards board under the IFRS Foundation. Great idea, but obviously it's a bit of a concern that we're going to end up with far too many blobsters making sustainability unsustainable. Elsewhere, the White House, they have said that the idea of a stock trading tax could be worth studying after the GameStop frenzy. Worrying news, of course, coming in the wake of that increase in stamp duty in Hong Kong. 
People News this week, the Japan Exchange, they're filling the hole as a result of those who fell on their sword following the technology collapse they had at the end of last year. In parentheses, of course, no news that the Australian Stock Exchange has even any remote intention of replacing any executives, despite the fact they too couldn't operate their market for at least a day during the course of Q4 last year. Anyway, back to Tokyo. Hiromi Yamaji. He is going to be the new president of the Tokyo Stock Exchange. He's been a long-standing executive, first of all running the Osaka Exchange since 2013, having previously been an executive operating officer at Nomura Securities. He's expected, apparently, to expand the exchange's international business. Elsewhere, interesting news once again from Hong Kong. The Hong Kong Exchange's chairman, Laura Cha, she is exiting the board of HSBC, the banking powerhouse, where she's been sitting for a number of years as a non-executive. With Laura Cha having definitively strengthened her hand as the supreme leader of the Hong Kong Exchanges, thanks to her newly installed CEO, it makes sense for her to depart the HSBC board. Meanwhile in Big World, so farewell then Mr. Oil, who extricated the Saudi oil industry from the grip of the United States, masterminding the 1973 oil price hike. Sheikh Ahmed Zaki Yamani died in London aged 90 earlier this week. As the Daily Telegraph's obituary noted, for two decades, Yamani was Mr. Oil, the soft-voiced negotiator who dominated the councils of the international price fixers and who could inject confusion into the stock markets with a throwaway remark to a reporter. He knew exactly how to manipulate prices and how to seize an advantage by cutting production. Whether his strategy benefited Arabian oil producers in the longer term was another matter. Or indeed, as oil expert and vice chairman of IHS Market, Daniel Jurgen noted in his award-winning book, The Prize, to the global oil industry, to politicians and senior civil servants, to journalists and the world at large, Yamani became the representative and indeed the symbol of the new age of oil. His visage, with his large, limpid, seemingly unblinking brown eyes, and his clipped, slightly curved Van Dyke beard, became familiar the planet over. R.I.P. Sheikh Ahmed Zaki Yamani. So, ladies and gentlemen, to end the week, what can we say? An incredible number coming from PayPal. You'll remember PayPal. They're kind of the interim fintech vendor. They're not quite up there with the modern kids, and they're rather closer at the pricing end of the spectrum to the old guys. But nonetheless, they are at the point where their billionth user is in sight. What an incredible milestone. And finally, another sad news of a sad death. The man who sculpted that bull that has made well, the Wall Street area so famous once upon a time, it sat briefly outside the New York Stock Exchange, albeit without permission. Anyway, Valet to Arturo di Modica. He died aged 80 during the course of this week. And on that magnificent and mysterious note, ladies and gentlemen, this is Patrick L. Young wishing you a great week in life and markets. Don't forget to check in for our live stream. We've got a fabulous digital asset expert and Bay Markets affair coming on Tuesday. That will be at 6 p.m. Central European Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in the USA. We're going to be discussing a whole new way to manage to put together a technology silo for digital assets. And of course, Monday through Friday, Exchange Invest, the daily bulletin of the bourse business will be with us. Email me, contact me on social media, or indeed call by the website exchangeinvest.com if you'd like to sign up to our newsletter. Have a great week in life and markets. We'll be back next week with the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast. Thanks for listening. My name is Patrick L. Young.
This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.